Warning. Deep Fix contains adult content and language. So if you don't touch processed foods but eat gummy bears, this may not be for you. And now, Deep Fix. Hello, and welcome to Deep Fix, where we get a fix of all of our favorite obsessions. I'm your host, Jen B. And this season, we are taking a deep dive into the epic Real Housewives of New York City, seasons one through three. And this episode, we are breaking down the Roni season two lost footage. Now, let's get our fix. Well, we are on the last episode dealing with season two of Roni, which means we are headed straight for season three and all the sun, sand, and psychosis, to use a term from one of the episodes. And truly, I can't wait. And I've been getting messages on social media that a lot of you guys can't wait until we get to season three, especially Scary Island. So get ready because we're almost there. And I don't know about you all, but I am so pumped for the Roni Legacy show that they have hinted and teased is coming out, which let's be honest, it sounds like it's in the works. I know I had heard that Dorinda perhaps kind of dropped the ball and said something about filming. And then Ramona was just on Jeff Lewis's podcast on Sirius, and he tried to get it out of her, but she was really good. She didn't say anything. But I did notice that she said she, Jill, and Luann all had microblading done on their eyebrows at her apartment, which to me sounds like a scene for Real Housewives, right? I mean, it, it does. I felt like, ooh, they're filming. And this show better not be on Peacock. This better be Roni Legacy on Bravo. I don't want any of this Peacock nonsense. And I really would love it if they had as many of the original housewives and old school OGs from from New York City that they could get. And as much as Alex, I know she rubs people the wrong way. She's awkward. She (laughs) drives people crazy. But I still think she would be great on the show. They did add a little something different. And at the very least, they make everybody talk. Whenever I post anything about Alex and Simon, it stirs up everybody. And I feel like her name has been coming out of the mouths of many Bravo people. I heard Andy mention it. Jeff Lewis mentioned it um, on the podcast when he was chatting with Ramona. It keeps coming up. So who knows? Maybe if she even just comes out and makes a cameo, I would love it. And as much as I would love Bethany to come back on the show, I really she's regardless of what you say about her. I really was a Bethany fan. I still am a Bethany fan. I will be a little bit critical of her at times when need be. But love her or hate her, she is, I think, top dog, the best housewife to ever grace the screens. It was the perfect combination of her biting tongue and her just no holds bar attitude to calling people out mixed with the timing where she was on in the very beginning before things were super overproduced, production wasn't super involved in creating these fake storylines. was interesting. I saw Carol Radzewill on whose podcast was it? Was it Bitches by Bravo? I'm forgetting which podcast she was just on. It was David David Yontef's podcast. 
Behind the Velvet Rope. That's what it was. I just saw Carol Radzivill on Behind the Velvet Rope. And for those of you who don't know, Carol was a Real Housewife of New York City from seasons five, I think, through season 10. And it was interesting, those last couple of seasons, she was talking on that podcast about how pathetically involved production was in making up fake storylines, in feeding lines to the housewives, and how it just really shaped the show in a negative way and made for for just for bad TV. And I feel like she was giving a behind the scenes look into exactly what I've been talking about as to why Roni seasons one through three were so epic. Because it was before, and I'm not saying that production wasn't heavily involved, when Alex McCord used to do her, um, the stir, she kind of had her little, I don't know, video blog that she would do weekly back in the day. She, She would give some behind the scenes. She would mention about just the ways in which production would mess with the show. They would cause people to be late, have their drivers circle, take a wrong turn just to really stir up drama and piss people off, especially when there was already tension going on in the group. So that's not to say that production wasn't already meddling and playing a little bit of the storyline gods, but it definitely was not as heavy-handed as we see today, where, as Carol said, they're picking and choosing clips to show, they're feeding lines to housewives, creating completely ridiculous fake storylines, And again, hello, bravo, like get a hold of your production companies. And I also don't think these women, I I find it really ridiculous that each housewife has their own producer. Right away, I think red flag, that's a problem. That's not what we loved about the show. We loved the honesty. We loved the reality. We loved following them through their lives, watching them make mistakes, you know, have great moments, have bad moments. If there ever was a time to revamp the way in which production and the cast members relate and the way in which these shows are produced, it's now because it's getting old. You see it in, we've talked about it in other episodes, the same bullshit storylines are starting to show up in all of the cities. The, we're recording a song, we're going and getting waxed, it, we're dressing up as bears on a camping trip and trying to scare some of the girls. It's so fucking ridiculous. And it just makes it not fun. And it goes back to why Bethany is one of the greatest, if not the greatest housewife to ever grace our screens because she just gave it to us real. She didn't need a producer feeding her lines because she was the queen of the one-liner, as Jill used to say. And she would call everybody out. It's what's needed, the the kind of dancing around all the topics and, oh, this thing is off topic for me this season. We're not allowed to talk about this. Then what the hell are you doing on a reality show, right? It's like, go be on a scripted TV series if you're that desperate for fame and fortune. And I really, really hope they hear this message when it comes to Roni Legacy, because if you're going to do Roni Legacy, you got to give us why we love it and why there's a call and a need for Roni Legacy. Give us the girls. Give us Dorinda. She's going to make it nice, right? Give us Jill being a total narcissist and crazy. Give us Ramona and her Ramona-isms and just acting like a total crazy lunatic. And let us follow them in their lives. Let's see what they're really doing now. We don't need a lot of these fake, let's get all six of the women together and have a dinner and make them fight. Every fucking episode is like that now. We want to see them doing separate things. Sure, you need some of them to cross, you know, have some crossover and be friends. But in the end, we just want to follow these women and see their fabulous lives, right? We want to see what they're doing in their home. We want to see them out in the wild. We don't want to see them being forced to go on a trip with the same six ladies that none of them like. It's totally produced. Or 
I have a party. I'm, or the, the worst part is these birthday parties. Like, I just, I couldn't help but think like Harry Hamlin's 70th birthday party on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Could it have been more overproduced? As if Harry Hamlin is going to have a 70th birthday party, which consists of guests of nothing other than Real Housewives castmates and their husbands. That clearly wasn't his real 70th birthday party. That was just some bullshit way to get all of the women in a room together having dinner and then to have a fight break out. It's just it's getting so old and it's not why we loved Housewives. It's not what it's all about. And it's really going to be the downfall of the show if they don't get this note. So listen up, bravo. But enough about that. Back to season two when we're in the glory And unless you either watched it when it aired or you've got the DVDs, you may not remember the Lost Footage episodes, which were something new. Again, this was new to the Housewives franchise. The Lost Footage was just really a lot of the clips that hit the cutting room floor floor and didn't make it to air. And I always found it interesting because especially in these early seasons when there were only 12, 13 episodes, then the reunion A lot of these scenes I don't think would have hit the cutting room floor if we're talking about Real Housewives now where there's 20 plus episodes for the season. But because they were so limited on time, a lot of these things didn't make it to air. And so I really do love the lost footage episodes from the early days because it's good stuff. It's not just crap that really didn't deserve to be on air. It was stuff that would have made it to TV had they had more episodes. And I'm taking it that a lot of people don't remember some of these, especially if you go on our TikTok page at Deep Fix Podcast. A lot of the videos that we post from the lost footage, I get a lot of comments from you all saying, I don't remember this. When did this air? What was this all about? And the reason why you may not remember it is because it's from the lost footage. It didn't air on an episode. It aired on that finale episode after the reunion, which was the lost footage show. So if you haven't seen it, jump over to our TikTok page. I've got a ton of videos up there, and they're just as fun to watch as the ones that aired. So with that, we don't have turtle time this episode because it's a lost footage show. So let's jump right in to mentioning it all. The Roni season two lost footage aired on May 28th, 2009. So we're still very early in the Housewives game here. And this episode opens up with Andy, which I love. It's old school Andy. He looks super young. He's still got his big hair. And he's on set at Cipriani's Wall Street where they filmed the reunion and the set of the reunion is behind him. So they knew they were going to do a lost footage episode and they had Andy do all of the intros and transition pieces while he was on set filming the reunion. Which again, I love this. It's just early Bravo. It's like kill two birds with one stone. Let's get it all done. It's so good. So Andy pops up on our screen. He lets us know that they are opening the Bravo vaults and giving us a little sneak peek into what didn't air for season two. And it jumps right in with Jill. And I do kind of like this. They do it in chronological order. They start where the season started in the Hamptons reading the New York Post. If you recall, this is right after Simon had done the article in New York Magazine saying Jill is from Long Island and it shows. And so in retaliation, because of course Jill has to retaliate, she gave that article to the New York Post where she says that Simon drinks too much and really went in deep and cut deep and hit him hard. But here they throw in a little bit of Gloria, Jill's mom, who we all know and love. Is that the right term? 
And Jill, of course, needs her advice. And once I saw this, and once you watch the reunion and see that Gloria got the advice column down in the paper in um, Florida where she lives, I couldn't help but think that Jill was probably fuming that this scene didn't air. It didn't promote Gloria and her advice giving, probably because Gloria was pissed. So therefore, Jill had to be pissed. So I couldn't help but wonder if this is why perhaps they put this scene in the lost footage and opened up lost footage with it was to placate Jill and Gloria a little bit. But this really is one of these scenes, I was surprised it didn't make it to air. I really do think that if there had been more episodes, like I said, they only had 12 episodes, I think, then two for the reunion, and then the lost footage made 15. Had they had more episodes, I think scenes like this would have made it in because it was good. It was, you get some of the shit talking with Gloria and Jill, you get a lot of Jill and her family life, and you see that dynamic. I actually rather liked this scene. It's one of my favorite scenes of all of the lost footage. But Jill and Allie and Gloria are sitting around Jill's breakfast nook table in the Hamptons. Jill wants Gloria's advice because the New York Post article has now come out where Jill threw Simon way under the bus. So of course, Jill first shows Gloria the New York Magazine article. And I love Gloria's comment on this. I think she's spot on. She sees the byline, which must have Alex McCord hyphen Van Kempen or something like that. Because Gloria comments on what is this McCord Van Kempen stuff? Like, what is all of this? And so Allie and Jill explain that McCord is Alex's maiden name and she kept it when she got married to Simon. To which Gloria responds, wait, they're so close that they literally walk together as one unit, but she retained her name when they got married. Like, what the fuck is that all about? And I love that pickup from Gloria because it is interesting with all of the we're one person, we think is one, we do everything together. I couldn't imagine being without him. All of that crap that Alex and Simon have been putting out there for two seasons. It is interesting that she didn't take his name. And I love that Gloria picks up on it. And then, of course, you get a snarky remark from Jill because she says, well, they think that's the way to have a happy, normal marriage. You know, maybe it is which, oh, she just can't help herself. So Jill puts the article from New York Magazine, which Simon wrote in front of her. Gloria reads it. And once she sees the Jill's from Long Island and it shows, Gloria's like, look, that's clearly meant to be a dig. And so Jill feels vindicated. She's like, I'm not crazy. I knew I didn't read anything into it. My mom read it just like I did. And then she shows her the New York Post article where she went in on Simon. And because these narcissists just can't ever admit that maybe they went too far or did something wrong, Gloria's take on it is that Jill is totally entitled to say what she wants. They deserved it. So she's totally in the right. And then, of course, to make themselves look even better, Allie explains that Jill also called Simon and Alex to apologize, to which Gloria says, well, that was very nice because not many people would have done that. And I was like, what? First of all, not many people would have spoken to the New York Post and said that somebody is basically a falling down drunk alcoholic. But if they did, I would assume that a lot of people would find it appropriate to then call and apologize. But that's just me. And I love this scene, too. It just speaks volumes about where Jill is at with herself in the show because she's wearing a Team Jill shirt. Remember, in the season one reunion, she shows up wearing the Team Jill shirt. And so she's got another Team Jill shirt on because clearly that's how she sees the world. 
And then Jill goes even further and tells her how Alex said the reason why Jill did this is because Jill is jealous of her, which let's be real, that was ridiculous. Come on, Alex, Jill has nothing to be jealous of you about. So Gloria gives her advice on what she should have said and said, oh, you should have said, oh, of course, I'm very jealous of you. And Jill jumps in with, that's it. That's exactly what I said. I'm my mother's daughter. And I just thought it was a little, It again, it was very illustrative of their relationship. Jill having to kind of ask his Gloria, keep her placated, make it like, I'm just like you, mom. I'm, we're great. You can't, can't criticize me because I'm just like you. I felt a little bad for Jill in in that scene because I think it showed a little deeper of the roots as to why she is the way she is. But then in her confessional, I loved this piece because she throws a little dig even at her mom. She starts off by saying how smart and wise her mother is. And then she launches into because she's made a lot more mistakes than I have and done many more things than I have. So I value her advice. And I love that little dig she throws that she's made a lot more mistakes than I have. I just thought that was so great. What a backhanded compliment. And I did think it shows that even Jill has some resentment towards her mother, who is a total narcissist. And the scene ends with Gloria saying that, well, she wouldn't have said it to me. I'm just not as warm as you are, Jill. If Jill is your example of somebody being warm, I mean, goodness gracious. And so we get a bunch more advice from Gloria, most of which boils down to just don't engage Simon in conversation. And that's the end of that scene. Because as we'll note with most of these lost footage scenes, some of them are, this one was one of the longer ones. Some of them are a little bit longer, but most of them are very short. They're just little clips, little snippets. And so our next clip is with Bethany. She is on Fire Island or Gay Island, as she calls it. And we've got these clips on TikTok. So feel free to hop over there at Deep Fix Podcast and check them out. They're pretty funny. And she explains that on Fire Island, gays are not the minority. They are the priority. Again, just great one-liners. She delivers time and time again. And recall, she was staying with Jill this summer. She stayed with Ramona for the last weekend, but clearly she did go off and do her own thing because this weekend she was going to visit her friend Chuck, who had a house out on Fire Island. She said this was really a summer all about work. She was working and catering and promoting and doing the social life party and the magazine cover, but she also wanted to have a little bit of fun because it was the end of summer. And so these clips are just great. It's Bethany with a bunch of gay guys She's in the kitchen. They all have their shirt offs, which she commented. She's like, maybe I should just take my shirt off, too. No one would care, right? (laughs) And as she explains, Fire Island is dating suicide for a single girl, which I think it's funny because at this point, she's single. She's broken up with Jason number one. So a little bit like, why would you go there? But I think it's also evident she's not looking to hop right back into another relationship. She was kind of taking the summer off, giving herself some breathing room. And so this clip is really just all about Bethany. She's out at parties. She says she wants to dance her tits off. And so she does. They're dancing with, she says the gays just don't stop. They're, They're like the energy is out of control. And she's just dancing with every guy getting spun around, getting dipped. She looks like she's having a ball, letting loose. And I'm sure she needed it after that big breakup with Jason number one. And as she explains, it was like an all you can eat buffet but your jaw is wired shut because there were all these hot guys everywhere, shirtless, dancing around, and not a single one of them wanted her. And this clip ends with her saying that at her heart, she's really just a disco bunny. And that is her voice over to her just dancing her tits off. As she said, she clearly got her wish. And this was another scene I was surprised didn't make it onto the show. 
It just showed a more fun, light side to the summer. But again, maybe it wasn't what they were trying to promote with Bethany, that she was sad and broke up with Jason and focusing on work. I'm not sure, but I do think a scene like this would have made it onto the show had they had more space. So next up is Ramona. We are at RMS Fashions, her business, which I kind of liked this scene because it did give a little bit more of the background of who Ramona is in terms of business and what she does. She explains that with her business, she buys excess inventory and then resells it to businesses like TJ Maxx, those kind of things, overstock. And as she's going on and says that people, of course, think she's pretty and all of that. But as she puts it, her business head is 10 times better than her beauty. I loved that. And the scene is really about her meeting with one of her manufacturers, who I did notice gets a name flash. Remember, they used to do all the name flashes and price flashes. He gets a name flash in this clip, which I thought was fascinating. I'm wondering if that's why he agreed to do it. And he's bringing in showing, you know, he's got 50,000 units of this and of that. And she likes it. Most of it is name brand. It's like Cole's private label. Some of it is plus size, which she says she loves. It's Lane Bryant jeans. And then she goes on to say that she usually can work the men to get the price that she wants. And it shows her wheeling and dealing. And then the guy kind of makes some sick comment about, well, you know, I give you a better price when you wear a low cut top. It's like, oh, God. And she's she's a little bit like, oh, good Lord. But it clearly works in her favor because, as she says, she wheels and deals with these guys and flirts with them a little bit to get what she wants. And it usually works out in her favor. And this clip ends with her saying, I'm sorry, but you either have good business sense or you don't. It's not something that you're going to learn. And like it or not, Ramona did have good business sense between her and Mario she was the the more successful. I think she was making more money. She just said it on just Jeff Lewis's podcast that Mario admitted to her he was feeling a bit emasculated because she was bringing in more money than he was. And good on Mario. He said, that wasn't your fault. That was my fault. I did it to myself. But say what you want. She made a lot of money for herself. She bought herself homes, homes in the Hamptons, homes in New York City. These aren't cheap places. And she also put her daughter through a very expensive private school. So clearly, she does have a good business sense. Can't argue with that. And then we get another Andy. I love it. He does all the lead-ins in the intro. So he's setting up every clip for us, which I love. And next up is Alex. And I really liked this scene, too. It really actually gave a different side to Alex and Simon. Perhaps that's why they didn't want it to air, because it made them seem a little more normal. It clearly made Simon seem a little less gay based on what their gay friends say about them. But they're meeting up with their gay friend couple. They have um, a son that they've adopted. Alex explains they've been trying to get their kids together forever to, to have a play date. So they're finally doing that. They talk about the adoption story of their gay couple friend, how they moved to Massachusetts to get married, because many of you might not remember this, but back then, Massachusetts was one of the only states that legalized, and I think it was the first to legalize gay marriage. So because they wanted to adopt, they moved to Massachusetts, got married. It was like, boom, they got a phone call, woman's overdue, like two days later, they were bringing home a baby after one of the guys says their parents bought up everything from Toys R Us and Babies R Us, and then they were off and running. And their son looked to be about maybe three at this point. The kids are, they're outside on one of the piers. The kids are eating ice cream. It was just, it's a really nice scene. It seemed really just fresh. 
And then you get a Simon confessional, just a bit pretentious of Simon, where he says, although they're kids, you know, we do talk to them a little bit like they're adults. We want to make sure they're aware of the world. I think he has in the back of his mind that they're doing this book. So they're pushing the parenting thing a bit. And I thought that was a bit shady of production too, to not show this part of them, their, this parenting piece when clearly they were doing their book and probably would have been helpful. I thought it was hilarious. Alex asked one of the guys when they're going to adopt their next one. The guy jokes and points to his partner and says, well, his tubes are tied. So it's like one and done. And one of them says, well, one kid is an accessory, two is a minivan, and we're, we're not that committed. <laughs> so again, it just shows it showcased a different side to Alex and Simon. It made him a bit more down to earth. And then the scene ends with the their gay couple friend and their son. And the one guy says, my gaydar definitely does not go off on Simon at all. But I would kill for his shoes. So then next up is Jill. We're at Nova's Ark. She's setting up for a charity event. And I thought it was th- these scenes just first off. These scenes are also on our TikTok page. So feel free to hop over and check them out. But she meets with Tundra Wolf, who is the owner of the facility, and they're doing a charity event for an orphanage school in Kenya, Africa. And they're going around whoever this this huge, it's like a ranch with horses. And one of the sculptors has tons of these big, huge metal pieces of art, I guess you'll call them. I just they I don't know. I thought they were crap, but whatever. And it shows her meeting with Peter Majeri. He's the director of the school in Africa. And this poor guy cannot get a word in edgewise. Jill is there with one of her, I, I can't tell if it's somebody she works with, somebody who works for her, but the guy can't get a word in edgewise. Jill just won't stop talking. And I really thought they did Jill a favor by not airing this on the regular episodes because she just comes off looking so ignorant. First off, she comes off looking narcissistic. She can't stop talking. The poor guy. It's it's kind of hilarious. The guy is just sitting there silently staring at Jill as she and this other lady are going back and forth talking about the last time they were in Kenya and she had a Jill Zarin bag and that's where all the toys were and blah, 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 blah. But then the scene ends with Jill saying something like, well, because it's really it's clearly very hot. The guy's like in a full suit. And she says, well, you're probably used to the heat being from Africa. It's like, oh, good Lord. And then the scene ends with her saying, do you have horses in Kenya? Like, do you also do you have television in Kenya? It's like, oh, God, Jill, you are so lucky that they didn't air this. I mean, again, in 2009, it probably wouldn't have been as problematic to use a word with from the housewives and from the millennials these days. But it's still I feel like, wow, did they do a favor to Jill by not airing this? So then we go back to Bethany and she is taking Jill's daughter, Allie, on a rollerblade bike ride trip through Central Park. And I really loved this scene, too. I'm surprised this one didn't make it. And these clips are also on our TikTok page. In fact, there's additional clips that didn't make it to the lost footage episode that we've got on our TikTok page. But Allie is back from Europe. Remember, she went to study in France for the summer And Bethany, her confessional, she explains that Allie really does see her kind of like a big sister. And she thinks Allie missed her a little bit when she was out in Europe. And so Bethany is on rollerblades. Allie's got her bike. And Allie says something like she's only ridden a bike a couple times. And Bethany's like, what the hell is wrong with your parents? You've only ridden a bike a few times. Like, what is going on? And so it shows them kind of riding through Central Park. Allie's like, this is really not that fun, Bethany. (laughs) And then Jill or Allie asks if they can get Jill on her bike. 
And Bethany's like, whoa, whoa, baby steps. Like, I'm not a miracle worker. I don't know if we're going to be able to get your mom on a bike, all right? So eventually they stop. They have a picnic in the park. They're talking about Allie's Europe trip and whether or not she's excited for school to start again. Allie is talking about how she's mostly friends with guys and not really friends with girls. She has a hard time getting along with them. And I, Bethany is the same way, she says. And so they're definitely clicking. And you can see why Allie does relate to her on a big sister level. And as they're chatting about France and her summer and whether she's going to remain in France, I mean, remain friends with the people from France, Bethany's voiceover says that she thinks maybe some boy stuff happened in France. Like maybe she met a guy that she liked, maybe had a little bit of a romance. And the scene ends with Bethany saying, you have your whole life to be worried about boys. I mean, shit, I'm still worried about boys. And I noticed they didn't show the whole clip because, as I said, we have on our TikTok page the rest of it. Where Allie is asking about Jason, Jason number one, because Bethany and Jason have now split. Allie's been gone for the whole summer and she's asking if they still talk. And Bethany kind of starts to say, yeah. And then you can tell she just kind of has a real moment. It goes, well, not really. Like, we don't talk a whole lot. Bethany goes on to say Jason's a really great guy, but they're just not meant to be like he's a great person. He's not her person. So I found it funny that in the lost footage, they don't even show you the full clip of the lost footage. Even the lost footage is cut. <laughs> it's too good. Next up is Ramona. She's at the Pause for Style fashion show, which is put on by Animal Fair magazine for the Humane Society. She's there with Avery and Coco, of course, because it is a fashion show for not only humans, but humans with their dogs who have a matching outfit. She explains the outfits get auctioned off on eBay afterwards. And Rebecca Taylor, the designer, designed her dress, which it's really cute. It's gray. It's got like a sparkly kind of rhinestone top and then like a gray chiffon bottom. It looks really pretty on her. Coco's got a matching outfit. I loved this one scene, too. I couldn't believe they didn't put this in the show. But as they're walking the red carpet, a reporter asks Ramona if Coco has ever met Jill Zarin's dog. And Avery says, well, Jill's dog is a little scary and she bites. And Ramona's response is, yeah, my dog is like me and Jill's dog is like her. (laughs) It's so good. I couldn't believe it didn't make it to air. So they show Ramona and Avery getting ready for the runway, which I thought is just a great foreshadowing for the most epic, classic Ramona crazy eyes runway that is to come in season three. Don't worry, we're going to get there. But Ramona does a much better job on this runway. And we see there's actually some stars, the um, Paris Hilton-esque editor of Social Life magazine, which we saw in the first couple of episodes of the season where Bethany makes the cover. She's on the runway. Richard Belzer is there from Law & Order SVU. Nikki Blonsky is there from the Broadway show Hairspray. And then we've got Ramona. She heads up onto the runway and she's kind of just like dancing, doing a little like cha-cha down the runway. She's got kind of a rhinestone-ish leash (laughs) on Coco and she's swinging the leash. It's much better though. Although it's not perfect, it's much better than what's to come. And Avery's loving it. She's like, oh, they look so cute. She's taking pictures. So when all is said and done, Coco's really happy to see Avery And Ramona explains that Coco is her other child, even though Avery thinks Coco is her child. And the scene ends with Avery saying, you're famous, Coco. It's really cute. So next we open with Kelly. And oh, God, this scene. I really wonder why they didn't show this scene. And I wonder if it's because, recall, up until the reunion, Jill was helping Kelly try to rebuild her reputation with all this charity and all the Madonna nonsense. 
And I think th- I couldn't help, but this freaking scene is such a setup by Kelly trying to seem like she's charitable. This is a reputation save attempt, but all she does is come off like a fucking asshole. So she's cleaning out her closet and she's going to give some stuff to charity. She's with Isabelle Dupre, a famous French fashion stylist who was a style editor at Elle magazine, which seems to be that's like where Kelly meets everybody was from working at Elle magazine. And I just, I don't know, there's something about the New York fashion scene. I just, I can't get into it. I feel like Isabel clearly thinks she's very cutting edge. She's got this very cocktail evening top on with like a rhinestone belt cinched in at the waist. But underneath it, she's just got like a white and black cotton tank. And it's clearly, I mean, they're just cleaning out her closet. I don't know. There was something about it that just, ugh, just reminded me of like Devil Wears Prada bullshit. And like I said, Kelly is clearly trying to save her image with this scene, but she just comes off so snobbish. She's sitting there talking to Isabel and is explaining that, you know, with the economy going on the way it is and the banks collapsing, because remember, they're in the height of the 2008 economy collapse, right? And she says, so I thought maybe I could lean down a little and help some people. It's like lean down. Oh, Jesus, she thinks so highly of herself. I just, I can't with this woman. And so Kelly goes and kind of sits down and just like as if Isabel's going to do the work. And even Isabel's like, so I'm going to do all the work. And she's like, you're the superstar Silas, Isabel. I'm just the chick with the smile. And it's like, oh, God, she's just insufferable. So they go through her closet, which is ginormous. I mean, she's got tons of clothes, which isn't really that shocking. She's a model. She's worked at Elle magazine. Her ex-husband is a famous model photographer. You know, it wouldn't surprise you that she probably is given a ton of clothes, which she says she is. She says a lot of people ask them to ask her to wear their clothes, which then she goes, which is really flattering. It's like always with this word flattering, again, her snobbish, like the way she sees herself, she's always flattered by everything. It's like, get the fuck over yourself. And as she says, there's a lot of talkers in New York. And instead of talking, she wanted to do something nice and charitable because being charitable is the most important thing you can do. And she doesn't respect people who just put their names on things because it attaches them to some level of society. It's literally like she's describing herself. It's so, (laughs) it's like Twilight Zone with her. But as she explains, she wants to be in the trenches and not just be a talker. And so Isabel is going through a bunch of stuff. We see Kelly in the back in the background saying that she's never worn anything that's ugly, maybe unusual, maybe interesting, but she's never worn anything ugly. Cut to Isabel going, what the hell is this? And like throwing it on the bed saying this has to go. And then Kelly, I just she it's like, again, she doesn't know what words mean. She just says what she hears other people say. She grabs this white button up sweater. It's kind of like 1950s. It's very demure is maybe the word I would say. And she grabs and is like, but this is so sexy. And it's like, there's nothing sexy about a white button down little sweater that you would like wear over a little dress or something. Earth to Kelly. And she's just going on and on about herself. She's saying, well, everyone asks me if I have a stylist, but I don't, like implying that she dresses so great, she must have a stylist. And so Isabel continues to go through things. It seems like she has a lot of duplicates of things. You can tell a couple items are definitely things that are special she's keeping. She's like, no, that was a XYZ that someone put out. You know, that's got to stay. And but then I love you can tell she is a bit of a hoarder because Isabel pulls out two of the same sweater and she's like, okay, this is a medium and this one is a petite. 
And Isabel's like, um, you don't need petite. You're a very tall woman and like throws it. And Kelly's sitting there with like her googly eyes like, I don't know. How do you know I don't need a petite? Maybe I'll have a petite moment, which I just thought was so New York model world nonsense, Kelly. Like you're going to have a petite moment. She's fucking like six feet tall. Like what is she doing with anything petite in her closet? Again, delusional. But like I said, I was surprised that scene didn't make it in the actual episodes either. But I wonder if they were kind of on board with trying to rehab Kelly's image, because she did that scene clearly to try to rehab her image, but ended up coming off even snobbier and more pretentious than ever. So I'm wondering if that's why it didn't make it because Jill still had a lot of power. She was on board with helping Kelly rehab her image. And it just really didn't fit with that narrative. Then we have this cute little scene. It's the Angel Sanchez fashion party, which instead of doing a fashion show, they had just moved to a new showroom. And so they instead decided to do something different and have a party in the the new showroom with a bunch of models and, and mannequins having the clothes on them. So it was it was nice. It was a different vibe. Ramona goes with Joni, her old friend Joni, who we see throughout the seasons. They look great. There's champagne there. And Jill arrives and Ramona says she's so glad she came. And so I couldn't tell if this was one of the things that Ramona invited Jill to. I'd be interested to see if Jill just happened to be there or if Ramona invited her. And Jill looks like she's got this Hervé Legere, that bondage wrapped dress. She's got that on. And she's got these eight inch, super tall, black patent leather YSL heels on, which look fantastic. And Ramona just loves them. And so Ramona asks if she can try them on, which I do love this about Ramona. She's just she doesn't care where she is. So Ramona puts them on and they kind of do the standing like, look at how tall I am with my shoes and look at how tall I am in Jill's shoes. And it really does give her a boost. And so the seat is really just Ramona prancing around in Jill's shoes, loving how tall she is and loving the new view from up there that she's got. I can see why this didn't really make it to air. It didn't add a whole lot, but I thought it was fun nonetheless. So then we go back to Bethany. And this is one, unlike the last scene where I understood why it didn't make it to air, I thought this one would have made it to air. Because if you recall, we saw during the show date number one with Bethany and Philippe. Remember, Frankie, her hairstylist, sets her up with Philippe, who is a former model and now does photography. Well, this is date number two. I mean, Philippe got a lot of freaking camera time, although it didn't all make it to air. But date number two gets filmed as well. And they are at his studio. And so they start off with a tour and the studio is it looks really big. It looks like a great area. He has some wine there. Bethany's in this really cute brown checked schoolgirl type skirt and like a brown cashmere sweater. And he's heavily flirting with Bethany. He's real. He loves the schoolgirl skirt. He's like, let's do a fashion shoot, maybe, maybe naked. And Bethany's like, ah, tomorrow, you know, not today. And you can tell she gets nervous. I've always noticed in this scene that she has kind of like sweat marks under her pits in this cashmere camel colored shirt that she's wearing. And they're very, very flirty with each other. He says, let's do a photo shoot. So she gets up and it's funny. It's like she knows she's sweating because he's wanting her to spin around as he's taking photos. And at first, she's kind of holding her arms down. She doesn't really want to show. And then she kind of like lets loose. It's really cute, really flirty. Then they sit back down and she's like, well, you got to show me the pictures. And she's kind of leaning over his shoulder, very flirtatious. 
he says, next time we'll do a bikini kind of joking. And she's like, honestly, I'd be more comfortable in a bikini. Like, I'm really hot in this cashmere. So I like that she's recognizing it because I saw it. And then she confirms it by saying she's really hot in the cashmere shirt. And this little clip ends with her saying she was feeling very Ramona-esque. Like she was just going with it, not worrying about where it was going. And I couldn't help but think of the Hope Lodge scene with Ramona and Luann and Bethany were... Luann kind of tries to be like, oh, darling, you don't ever just like date a bunch of men and blah, 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 and all that nonsense. And it ends up with that big fight with Ramona. But at this point, instead of feeling Giovanni, she's feeling a bit Ramona. Then we get this scene with Jill, Bobby, and Allie. And Allie, apparently for her sweet 16 um, birthday party, wanted to do a bowling birthday party. And so to prepare for it, Jill and Bobby and Allie go bowling it's I think it's just encapsulates Jill perfectly because there's not much that happens in the scene. They're bowling. Allie really is a terrible bowler. Bobby's actually a decent bowler. But the whole thing revolves around Jill bugging Bobby to the point of just obnoxiousness to help and, and teach Allie how to bowl. He's and he's really sweet and he's kind of trying, but you can tell they're not that close. It's not like he wants to go like touch her and show her how to do it. Allie's just terrible. She's throwing gutter balls. And I just couldn't help but feel like it was Jill trying to set up a scene. This is Jill being a producer on the show. She wanted Bobby to seem like he's very fatherly to Allie and like they're a family and do these fun family things together. But she's pushing it. She keeps saying, Bobby, Bobby, you're supposed to be helping Allie. Bobby, help Allie. She doesn't know what to do. Bobby, help. You're not helping her. Help her. And it just is like, I, I swear to God, I don't know how they don't turn around and just go, shut up. Shut up, Jill. At one point, as I always say, Jill says about Bethany, she says, oh, I need a one-liner. Where's Bethany when I need her? So she's even aware that Bethany is the queen of one-liners. And then, you know, Bobby, I said, he's a great bowler. Allie's a terrible bowler. And so we see Jill. She's like, who knew that Bobby would be bowler of the year? And who knew that Allie would not be <laughs> bowler of the year? And then there's this cute on-the-spot confessional with Allie outside the bowling alley where she says she didn't score the best, but she had the best morale. She was really great in there. And I just thought it was really sweet. I, I love Allie. I just, she's a good kid. And Bobby is really sweet and supportive. The one time he kind of gives a little tip to Allie and she actually throws a ball and I think she hits all but one pin. And Bobby's really sweet to her. And he's like, there you go. You're doing great. And... I thought it was adorable that Bobby was was trying to teach, despite Jill's obnoxious nagging at him to do it, he was trying to teach her and he was he was just trying his best, right? They were just all trying their best. And as they leave, Bobby says, it's the Zarin Bolin League. And then there's a very short clip. You can see why it didn't make it. And probably because it was A, not very interesting, and B, it was now more product talking and even worse, secondary product talking, because Luann had her nieces, Corinne and Nicole. They're the twins. You, you see these nieces all the time. It's the same ones that went to dinner with Kelly where Maximiliano Palazzo showed up. You still see, I think Luann just posted a picture on Instagram of her with one of her nieces. She's very close with them. I think it's her brother's kids. But they had apparently made 
table clothes. It was like I said, more product talking. It was something that they had designed. It's like bibs that you can wear, like the stuff you wear when you go out and eat lobster. But they were a little cuter. They had like black tie kind of print on them. And I just, they I didn't really think they were a very good idea. And I'm sure at this point, Bravo was like enough with the like product pushing. So this scene didn't make it to air. But I thought it was interesting because it's one of the few scenes that you see the Count is actually at home in the Hamptons with his family. And then they end the lost footage episode with reunion clips that didn't make it to air. So we see Andy talking about the fashion and they do a ton of clips of the women either at fashion shows, the fashion that they were wearing, some of the fashion that did not hit, like Simon showing up in the red patent leather pants and black leather blazer to the finale. And it sees Andy ask who has the best fashion. I like Ramona's answer. She says they all look great, which they do. I think the women all really do look great. Bethany says Luann, which I really can't argue with her. Say what you want about Luann. I know she got a lot of shit for being fake and putting on airs, but she does. She's classy. I mean, she knows how to dress herself and look good. Then they turn to Alex and say, you can't possibly like all of Simon's outfits. I mean, come on. And then she goes on this thing where she repeats several times, like, we like to play with people. It's just, I hate the wording that she does there. She sounds so ridiculous. But she goes on to say, fashion is fun. They like to play with people. She kind of finally does say not everything is is a winner, but they have a good time doing it. And then Andy launches in. I'm really surprised that they didn't put this into the reunion because the, there wasn't much of Alex in the reunion. But Andy says, I've got to ask the age old question. The thing we get the most of from our viewers is Simon Gay. And so, of course, then they show clips of Simon getting all of his facial treatments and loving his spa services and shopping and the clothes and how he wears Speedos, which Speedos aren't a gay thing. That's just really a European thing, but whatever. And him saying that he loves to wear color. He's worn pink shirts since he's 16. Of course, they can't help but show the clip of him in that infamous finale outfit at Jill's charity event. And I have to give it to Alex. Again, I really wish they would have showed this clip at the reunion because it just gives you a different side to Alex. But she says, look, if Simon were gay, he would be the most out and proud, like rainbow flag tattooed on his forehead gay there ever was. So no, he's not gay. But thanks for asking. And I thought it was just she handled it so well. I loved this this response. So then they turn to Jill, we're still at the reunion, and they talk about her behavior surrounding the tennis match. Remember, the tennis match, Mario was trying to set up the match. Jill, her tennis pro, of course, because she can't just show up with Mario. He was going to bring a professional. They were going to have a great match. But of course, she had to bring Justin Gimmelstop, her professional partner, who was going to be a surprise. He ends up getting sick. They end up bringing, Bethany says, just bring Simon. It's going to throw Ramona off so bad because she hates him so much. And the viewer comment was like, your behavior was totally rude. Mario set up the game and you did nothing but create drama. And Jill's response is, well, obviously that viewer didn't watch the show. It's like, well, no, that's exactly what happened. I think that person did watch the show. And so it just kind of devolves into Jill being totally rude to Ramona, poking at her, And saying, you know, I challenged you to play me one-on-one and you're just a scaredy cat and blah, 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 blah. And it just, Jill goes mean every time. She's really not addressing the question. She just decides to character assassinate Ramona and, and really just be a bitch. And then they end the lost footage with, again, this is 
2009 Survivor, the show Survivor was huge back then. And Andy asks, if this was a show where we had to vote someone off like Survivor style, who would you vote off? And this is why you love Bethany. She's the only one who comes right out of the gates with honesty. She's like, are you serious? Do you even need to ask me? With all the drama that's going on with her and Kelly, she's like, do you even have to ask me, Andy? And then I like because Luann was getting pissed at Kelly during this reunion. And Luann says, sorry, Kelly, but I was happy when it was just the five of us. Ramona says the same thing. Jill says the same thing. And then I love it just shows how fake Kelly is because then they go to Kelly and she sits there and acts like she has to think about it. Like, who would I vote off? Hmm. Gosh, who would I vote? It's, and you just, they cut to Bethany's facial expressions. It's really classic. I can't believe this didn't make it to air either. And then finally, Kelly just decides she doesn't want to be mean like that and do it. She's not going to participate in that. And then lastly, Alex says, it changes minute to minute. We'd really just have to flip a coin. So again, she's a bit wishy-washy. Come on, Alex, just say you want Kelly off the show. Or go for it and say you want Jill off the show. She's horrible to you, right? And then we get Andy wrapping up the last episode of season two, The Lost Footage. So with that, we are done with our deep dive of Roni season one and season two. And we are now moving on to season three. You guys, we are there. Buckle up. It's going to be a bumpy ride. I just I can't wait to get there. I remember watching these episodes as they were airing and I couldn't get enough. It is such good TV. You can't write or produce this shit. It was it was just it's epic peak top notch housewives. And I can't wait to deep dive it with you guys. So as always, please like and follow us on TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Deep Fix Podcasts. And you can find our podcasts at Podbean, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and most other places you get your podcasts. Until next time, see y'all then.